You've probably heard stories about plastic bottles and other plastic items polluting the oceans and other waterways. It's definitely a problem. But there's a bigger picture that raises alarming concerns about how plastics and other forms of ocean pollution are posing serious risks to human health. Welcome to Mothering Earth, your source for sustainable living news. I'm Salwa Khan. Here's the story. More than 80% of ocean pollution comes from human activities on land. This includes mercury from the burning of coal, chemicals used in manufacturing, agricultural chemical fertilizers and pesticides, and plastic items like water and soda pop bottles. A recent study, partly funded by the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences, says about 10 million metric tons of plastic waste gets into the oceans every year. It kills sea creatures and birds, but it also breaks down into microplastics that absorb toxins like mercury and dangerous chemicals. These toxic particles are consumed by fish and shellfish and are then ingested by humans who eat those creatures. As a result, humans face a wide range of harmful health effects, including heart disease, immune system dysfunctions, endocrine disruptions, cancers, and neurobehavioral disorders. Ocean pollution is most widely felt in low-income and coastal fishing communities, such as with people in small island nations and indigenous populations. My guest on this edition of Mothering Earth is Doug Woodring, founder and managing director of Ocean Recovery Alliance, which is an NGO that has a lot of different projects related to cleaning up plastic pollution in waterways. He's based in Hong Kong and works mainly in Southeast Asia, where he says there is a lot of plastic pollution. Let's begin with an introduction. My name is Doug Doug Woodring. I was born in in California, but I've worked over 30 years in Asia. I went to UC Berkeley. I have a different background than what you might expect. I run an NGO called Ocean Recovery Alliance, and we do a lot of things uh, related to ocean protection, sometimes with species and animals, but mostly about plastic pollution. And so my background is not a scientist or a biologist or ecologist. but I'm mainly an entrepreneur, an environmental entrepreneur. I studied political science and economics and have an MBA. So I come at this from, a, I guess, more of a business angle, which is relevant when you're talking about polymers and plastic and materials that, that brands and community use around the world. Uh, so we've done work with the UN and the World Bank. We've been running for 12 years. I'm based in Hong Kong. And uh, I do a lot of ocean sports and water activities, so I I see a lot of the plastic firsthand uh, in ways that some people don't see it when they in their in their own communities or running around the streets every day. Right. You have created a number of different projects uh, under the umbrella of Ocean Recovery Alliance, and they all have something in common, as you just mentioned, which is they're focused on solutions to the problems of too much plastic, plastic pollution of both land and waterways and the ocean. Um, and one of your projects is Global Alert. Can you talk about that? What is it? 
Global Alert is an app, a bit like Waze for traffic, if you've ever used that. It allows for community reporting of trash hotspots. So people can report uh, with photos and GPS location, um, hotspots of trash in rivers, creeks, or coastlines. And uh, the whole point here is to get people engaged in thinking about their waterways and what runs out from them because everything downstream is the ocean unless it goes into a lake. Uh, much of the world hasn't focused on rivers and creeks as the the flow center for, for plastic. And when you have big rains and floods in many countries, which you do, um, plastic and garbage gets washed down that very quickly. And this app is meant to engage communities around the world to help protect those waterways. If someone listening to the program saw a waterway polluted with piles of plastic waste, how could they go about reporting it using Global Alert? Yes. Yeah, so all you need to do is the app is free to use on both app stores. It's also even in Spanish. This was partly funded by the World Bank. So you go onto the app, you uh, click the site that you want to, uh, it says upload new trash site. And basically you can take three photos. You can take them at the time or you can uh, use photos you might have taken earlier. Um and the key is to zoom in on the map uh, to the closest point where you see it, because sometimes people might report something across a river from the other side, but uh, any stakeholders to go clean it up need to make sure they know what side of the river you know that that is right. on, because they right. might not be able to get to their side. The key point here is we do not link this to all the municipalities and water you know, governments of the world were, were not that big. So when some stakeholder in a watershed does do the reporting, they can use their photos on a map to have a better dialogue with other stakeholders uh, to rally their, you know, engagement. Could be with a Rotary Club, it could be with the government, it could be with an NGO or a university to say, hey, uh, you know, here are the trash spots. We've reported them. They're mm -hmm. evident. They're clear on the map. Let's go do a cleanup or better yet, let's think about how to put up a boom or a net or a catchment device along that waterway so we can stop the flow of stuff going down and then start thinking about where does it come from? Can it be prevented? Can we remove it? Can we recycle it? Uh, and this is really a great way to get people of all ages from from youth to uh, uh, the retired, everyone involved. Yeah, it seems like the whole point is to get the community involved, right? I mean, that's, yes. that's basically so, what you're describing. So that, but, but you do need to have a stakeholder who can make use of the data. So if mm -hmm. an eighth grade school is taking some photos, uh, it needs to be linked to someone who watches those photos and says, oh, okay, now we know there's a, a cleanup need in this location. Maybe next weekend we can get some people. And with a map and our app, it's now easier to um, tell people where to go, how many people you might need. And even when they do the cleanup, they can now take cleanup photos and repost them on our site and on our website. The pin, which shows the hotspot, can now be green instead of red and uh, show that they made a cleanup and right. they can log in the amount that they picked up and how many people were involved. And that's good information for uh, government and other stakeholders in the community who, who might want to see the value of, you know, those activities. Right. 
You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan, and I'm here today with Doug Woodring. He's the founder and managing director of Ocean Recovery Alliance, uh, which is an NGO that has a lot of different projects related to cleaning up waterways of pla- uh, with of plastic pollution. Um, and I understand that yours is one of the first NGOs to work with both the United Nations and the World Bank on their uh, on programs aimed at reducing plastic pollution. Can you talk about that? We were probably one of the first because the World Bank didn't usually work with NGOs on, on this kind of topic. And mm-hmm. about eight years ago, there was a global ocean program that they had initiated. Uh, we got some funding to work with them in Colombia, the country of Colombia, uh, using two of our programs. One is our plastic disclosure project, which is was the first methodology uh, in the world for plastic footprinting, uh, much like you would do with carbon footprinting. Mm-hmm. We announced this in 2010, and it's for cities or municipalities or companies or institutions like a hospital or a school or stadium, airport. And so we studied three cities, including Bogota, and the plan was to use the knowledge from the baseline study of how much plastic is used in those communities, collected, and uh, how much is actually recycled versus what you might, uh, what the statistics might say. Yeah. And then and then how to improve that. And we were also going to use Global Alert for the communities to work in all of the rivers. So that was our engagement with the World Bank. We've done two different studies with the United Nations environment. Um, because we, I live in Hong Kong, and uh, we're in the, in the middle of a lot of area in Asia where there is a lot of pollution. So we have always thought about ways to solve these problems cross-border and internationally. And and that's those programs we created can be used by anyone anywhere without the need for bans, taxes, or legislative changes. And because of that, uh, we've had ended up working with the UN and World Bank in these different cases. And you say that there is a lot of pollution, plastic pollution in those areas. Is there a particular reason for that? Well, there is, uh, but in some ways they get... Um, they get highlighted as being the main polluters and that takes away some of the, 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 the focus on other regions of the world, like India, Latin America, and Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone really does have this problem. Asia in particular, because there are very large populations in all of these countries who all live near the coastline and they also have big rains and big, uh, weather events through typhoons and uh, and heavy tropical rains. Whenever that happens, any mismanaged waste or misdumped waste or litter uh, can very easily go off of the streets or in the in the channels and the canals and down into a bigger river system and into the ocean. So, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of our countries don't have proper waste management facilities. They don't have proper collection. And when you do have a big rain, it's very easy to lose all of that to the water. And that's why Asia, uh, especially being hilly, uh, therefore you get large volumes of water in small places, uh, means that it um, is impacted faster. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan, and I'm talking with Doug Woodring. He's founder and managing director of Ocean Recovery Alliance. And you mentioned the Plastic Disclosure Project. 
uh, is sort of like carb, uh, carbon footprinting, but for plastic. Can you give us a little more about that? Sure. That's uh, We call that the PDP, um, Plastic Disclosure Project. It's a self-reflection. It's a way to do a baseline study of your own use, your meaning uh, companies, a brand, a uh, facility, a location, a property, uh, or a municipality uh, with a real focus on plastic. Often people might do a waste analysis, so they might say that they recycle, but they don't truly focus in on the plastic component of that, which is the most difficult uh, usually we can handle paper and glass and metal and even organics um, in better in easier ways these days. But plastic's very difficult uh, because of all of its different types. There's seven families of it. They all have different mixes of chemicals and melting points and colors. So by doing the plastic disclosure project, you sort of look at yourself in the mirror as a company or an institution and say, huh, how much do we use? How much do we truly recycle? Where does it really get recycled? Mm -hmm. um, how much recycled content are we using in our products? Could we be using more? Could we use alternative materials or maybe alternative ways to deliver the same service or product? And by doing this, it, it, it's a we. You might not get rid of all your plastic. That's not the objective. But the objective is to really hone in on what you do have and use and. Uh, hopefully alleviate some of the low-hanging fruit. The, the main goal is to use less virgin material and inspire the use of much more recycled content or biomaterial, uh, both of which have better benefits than using virgin material all the time. Yeah, and so it sounds like this is part of the the whole idea of a circular economy. Is that right? That's correct. So if you, uh, very difficult to know what to circulate in your materials, if you don't have a baseline measurement of what you have or make, whether that's glass, paper, metal, and of course, in this case, plastic. So if you don't really know what your inventory of use is uh, throughout your company or your product line or your properties, then it's hard to know um, how to go about circulating that, recovering it. Uh, you don't have to necessarily reuse it yourself, but you need to get it help get it into a system of the infrastructure and recycling that that some other third party will be able to make use of it, you know, via the use recycling system that exists in that country or jurisdiction. You're listening to, and I hope, enjoying Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. Pollution of our waterways, whether creeks, rivers, lakes, or oceans, is more than an unsightly problem. It's harmful to the health of people because of the toxic chemicals combined with microplastics which end up in the water and in marine life, which is eaten by humans. My guest, Doug Woodring, founded and runs Ocean Recovery Alliance. He's created several projects that are used by people all over the world to clean up plastic pollution and to make organizations aware of the amount of plastics they use in their businesses. We need people like Woodring who dedicate time and effort to improving the built and natural environment in which we live. Our mission at Mothering Earth is to bring you stories of people like them who are taking action in order to create a more sustainable world. But we need your help to spread the word 
So please tell people you know about Mothering Earth. Ask them to listen and subscribe on any podcast platform. Back to our interview with Doug Woodring. His plastic disclosure project lets organizations determine their plastic footprint, the amount and types of plastics that they use. With that information in hand, they can analyze their use and decide how to cut back or how to use more recycled content instead. I asked Woodring about the effect the Plastic Disclosure Project has had. UC Berkeley was one of the first universities in the world to undertake this as a campus. So they had uh, different students in part of this project study their labs, the dormitories, the cafeterias, the sports event venues, classrooms, and really understand how much does that campus, which has about 35,000 people uh, every day going on to it, how much do they create in terms of plastic and where, in fact, does it go? Um, often you might do have a contract with a waste hauler and he says, oh, we recycle it, uh, but you don't follow that chain and, and you don't really know where it went, uh, which state, which country. In fact, they found a lot of it at that time was going to China to be processed because that's where a lot of the U.S. sent their materials because the, the labor cost was lower. But now UC Berkeley has one of the um, more aggressive and stringent uh, plastic reduction programs in the whole country for universities. And it got started because of this program. And another example is Lush Cosmetics. They're a very famous cosmetics and uh, body care product mm -hmm. company out of the UK. Uh, they did a self-plastic disclosure project and realized that they put glitter in some of their products. And when you put glitter in your uh, makeup and then you wash it off your face or your body, it goes right down the drain. Right. And that's like a microplastic. And that's very easy to design out of your product. You just don't put it in in the first place. And that's what they did. So just because of this, you know, it might not be huge volumes, but when you have big companies make a small change like that, uh, it, it ripples across all of their product lines and helps them message. And, you know, they remove that right away. Um, we work with airlines, we work with bottling companies, we work with uh, many hotels, all of whom have changed the way that they either put things up in the airplanes, for example, with thick plastic bags that used to go over their magazines and their wrapping and blankets, mm -hmm. reduce the weight, reduce the waste. Uh, hotels have changed the way they use, uh, you know, single disposable amenities in their rooms with with soaps and hair wash. Uh, you know, now a lot of it is bulk and pump devices, so you don't have these single single items um, going out out the door as waste every time a new con consumer comes in. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan, and I'm talking with Doug Woodring founder and managing director of Ocean Recovery Alliance. Um, and another project that uh, has a serious aim but sounds like it could be fun is your uh, Water Rising and Falling Festival. Uh, can you t tell us about that? Sure. This is uh, These are programs we run in Cambodia. We've uh, started these over four years ago. Cambodia has an amazing lake called the Tonle Sap Lake. It, it rises and falls uh, every six months. So it's like one tidal change in a year 
of, of 18 feet, 18 to 20 feet, because it's part of the Mekong River. It's very flat and shallow. But the houses and the communities there therefore live in floating houses that move with the changing water levels or they're on stilts. And unfortunately, they've had no waste management infrastructure at all in the past. And so therefore, they would dump material or burn it. Uh, that's not good for anyone, anywhere, bad for tourism, bad for fishing. And so we created a program called the Water Falling Festival when the lake goes recedes and the plastic goes out into the lake. Uh, but we uh, purposely didn't call it a cleanup. And I think that was very advantageous because we didn't want to antagonize the local government and we, we weren't going out to complain. We were just trying to mobilize uh, fishermen, the monks, the village chiefs, and the kids, the youth, uh, that the water is a great place. We want to take pride in it. We're raising awareness on how to um, manage your waste in a different way so you don't burn it, you don't dump it in the water, it doesn't get tangled around your propellers when you try to go fishing or take out tourists. And we've done this every six months, so it wasn't just a one-time-a-year thing when people forget. And uh, by doing it every six months when the water changes, um, the, the, the communities became to trust us and trust the program and get very much behind it. And now we have local government, federal government support, uh, not monetarily. We still need uh, funding support for this, but really with engagement support. And they, they want us to expand their now... 180 villages around this big lake. Uh, we call it Cambodia's inland ocean because it really is a giant body of water. But these other villages also need these kind of help and thinking and resources. So we we have a really neat program with, with cleanups and how to catch plastic from the households every single day with our harvest plastic program. And um, it's a neat way to see the community get engaged in a positive manner. And, and not just a sort of negative cleanup attack as, as some some do when they go out and try to clean a river and, and complain about, you know, the problems there. What if countries around the world got together and agreed on a way to deal with the root causes of plastic pollution? In fact, about a year ago, UN member states endorsed a mandate to come up with a plan by 2024 to end plastic pollution. The production of plastic products has been rising and now amounts to 400 million tons per year, a figure that is expected to double by 2040. This is very interesting because uh, much like the Paris Climate Treaty mm -hmm. that was uh, discussed in 2015, there are now over 180 countries. Everyone has agreed we want a plastic treaty. Uh, so they're doing this faster than they've ever created any other treaty in the past. They want to have this resolved by the end of 2024. So every six months, there's a meeting of all the different nations and stakeholders to talk about how are we going to make this treaty? What does it involve? Is it about reduction of plastic? Is, is it taxing plastic? Is it recycling more? And I think our message to the world is that we really do need to grow the recycling uh, piece of this solution. It's Recycling has gotten a lot of bad press in the last 10 years, five years, because we've tried for 30 years, 40 years to do it well and hasn't always been done well. And uh, mostly because the 
infrastructure and set up for it to be done well hasn't really been given the chance and put in place. But if we don't recycle and we don't uh, even allow for trade of valuable material from a country that can use it and process it to another, then we really uh, we're forcing every single country to do their own thing. Uh, that's a lot of replication, a lot of cost. A lot of countries don't have that resource and actually might, you know, backfire in what we're trying to do with reducing pollution overall. Right. So um, that's a, you know, uh, a watch this space um, opportunity that's uh, developing over the next two years. In 2018, you received the Prince's Prize for Innovative Philanthropy from Prince Albert II of Monaco. Um, what was the award for and how did you how did you feel when you received the award? What was that like? Well, it was a great experience. I was incredibly surprised that I that I received it. I um, actually didn't I had forgotten that someone had nominated me for it. But I think it was he's Prince Albert is very um, knowledgeable and interested in ocean protection. And uh, it was because of the programs that we just sort of had talked about before, the Plastic Disclosure Project, Global Alert, because these are programs that the whole world could use today, tomorrow, without much effort if we want to do, and, and each could make very, very big impacts. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. I'm speaking with Doug Woodring founder and managing director of Ocean Recovery Alliance. You know, you're uh, you, you're running all these different um, programs or projects. I'm just curious about how, how your organization works, because it sounds like you're, you're managing all these different projects. Yes. Well, that's a great question. Um, some people, when they introduce me or us, they say, oh, you're, a, you're an activist. And I say, no, I'm an actionist. You know, we, we get things done quickly and we'd have a small team. Uh, I see basically we try to entrepreneur programs or ideas that can solve a problem or help raise awareness to a community. So every time in a way, it's like a little mini startup. You have to raise some money to fund that program or project. You need to get stakeholders involved and approvals if, if necessary. You need volunteers, you need uh, activators. But uh, um, so in that case, we don't have a big staff, but we do know and work with people around the world. And when we have a project that can go into those places, then we hire people based on, you know, the funding we got for that project. But I'm always looking for um, people in other countries who can take on the programs we created because anyone can really use them. Even we made a play, wrote a play called Uncle Roo, the Recycling Rooster. And it's for kids and villages. And it's now in eight languages right. performed in many different countries. And we're always looking for someone to uh, take this on with a theater group or some kind of school and start to perform it in their community so we can help them push it out and, you know, tour a bit. And there's a lot of neat things that can be done when you find the right connection with people you trust and and can expand it. And uh, you don't really need a huge staff and giant team of a, of a company or a organization to make that work. But, I mean, you have to reach out to people, and which takes time and effort, right? I mean... 
Somebody's yes, doing that, that. that. That's the that's what I do mostly. I, I used to speak at a lot of events at, and during COVID. I mean, pre-COVID, I spoke at a lot of conferences and at any given conference, you know, what we would say would would spark the attention of a lot of different good people. And some of them would really follow up, and follow through, and you can tell, wow, this is a great opportunity for this project with this person in this country. Uh, I guess I have a skill of connecting people and remembering that uh, if you add this person with that person's skill and then that country and this person's, then wow, then we have a project. And I always try to make those dots connect so you get one plus one equals eight instead of two you know, with a big impact, but it takes time and we need resources and the more money you have for these things, the more you can do. And that's always the challenge. Doug Woodring and Ocean Recovery Alliance are doing a lot on plastic pollution, but the problem requires all of us to do our part by sharply reducing our use of plastic products. It's simple enough to buy a reusable water bottle and use it, to get cloth bags for groceries and other shopping, to get reusable bags for certain produce items, and even to reuse the plastic bags we might get at the store. Check the number on products that come packaged in plastic and try to buy those that can be recycled easily, which are the number one and number two plastics. Thanks so much for listening. Please tell people you know about the Mothering Earth podcast and leave us a review on your podcast platform. Mothering Earth is also on Instagram at mothering underscore earth. Until next time, this is Salwa Khan signing off for Mothering Earth, your source for sustainable living news. Music